Well, hey everyone, my name is John. If we haven't met before, and we are in the middle of a series called Before You Lose Your Faith. More than anything, can I just say thank you for being here? Whether your faith in Jesus is strong, fading, or non existent, thank you for joining us and for giving God a chance. We started this series really a couple weeks ago talking about miracles, the, the miracle of Jesus' resurrection and the miracle maybe you have yet to experience. And we received over 11,000 of those prayer cards. We have been praying for those. I have a stack of those cards on my desk at work and a stack at home, and I am praying for them, including for the Timberwolves to win just one playoff game. <laughs> That was Jason's card just snuck in there, so I've been praying for that for him, and uh, But then last week, Jason addressed how to work through our disappointment with God, and, and so I would encourage you to go back and watch those two messages. Better yet, send them to friends and family members who may be struggling with matters of faith. Well, today, we're talking about another reason that people lose their faith, and it's because of this. It's because of the church or other Christians, and that's painful for me to say because those people lose faith, well, because of uh, people like me. This winter, the sixth grade traveling basketball team that I coached got invited to play in a tournament that was at the school where my boss, our senior pastor, Jason Strand's kids go. And one of his kids plays on the opposing team opposite of my son, and the thing is, we'd already played them once during the year, and they had smoked us. Okay, it's not fun to show up to work on Monday and pretend like, oh, wasn't that a lot of fun, wasn't it? Not really at all. <laughs> so this time, because I was determined to beat Jason, I mean, determined to ensure that our kids had a fun time no matter who wins, of course, you know, I get it. <laughs> but I had our boys amped and ready. It was an 8 a.m. game, which is already tough enough for uh, preteen boys, so I came in hot, yelling at them to get ready, to wake up, to get moving, to bring their best. Now, I don't want to bore you with the details, but you're here. I mean, where else are you going to go? So let me <laughs> tell you what happened. But long story short, we were down two with 15 seconds to go. We tied it up, which is miraculous in and of itself. We don't score a lot of points. But then with three seconds to go, the opposing team came down, and a kid hit a step-back three-pointer to win it. Game over. And I was, I was mad, Okay. I'm not like yelling at people mad, but internally I was seething and it didn't really hit me that most of the people in that gym knew me as one of their pastors or the pastor to their friends at least. But at that point, I can, I can barely walk through the congratulatory line because I'm so mad. Now to be crystal clear, to give you some background, did we get absolutely homered on their home court? Yes. Did the refs miss a dozen calls to their benefit? Yes. <laughs> Did that kid on the opposing team intentionally try to ruin my life? Yes, he did, okay? And it's hard to show up to work. Now, 99% of the time, I would have been laughing, having a great time. Even the other team's kid is a kid I've known for several years, and he plays on the same baseball team as my son. I love him like he's my own, but I just had nothing to offer in a positive way. And I think every single person in that gym could tell. Now, I took a venting session with my wife while pouting and hiding in the stands to realize just how ridiculous I was feeling and acting. But I tell you all this because if those people knew what was really going on in my heart, well, and now they all do. You all do as well. 
But if they knew how I was really acting, I could see why people would think, if that guy's a definition of a pastor and a Christian, I don't know if I'd be really interested in faith. And the truth is, I have been a reason why people haven't been interested. I've also been a reason why people have been let down or hurt. Now, hopefully not because of that game. I think I held it together enough, but for other reasons. For times I haven't been there for people when they needed me. For the times I haven't done what someone thought I should do. Maybe they were shocked that pastors sin. I do. We do. Now, Jason and Ryan, they're a lot worse, but I, <laughs> I'm not great, okay? But before I go any further, let me say, if you've ever been hurt by me for whatever reason, please hear me say, I'm sorry. But I'm also a pastor at this church, so I can't stop there. And I assume that this church has potentially hurt some people along the way. And if you've ever been let down by this church, again, I'm sorry. We are sorry. Or maybe there's something from your past experience with church or Christianity that has wounded you and you've showed up today with, well, a little bit of or maybe a lot of reluctance. And I bet if we had time to sit down together and share a cup of coffee and you share your story with me, I'd, I'd probably agree that if I'd experienced some of what you had experienced, I'd, I'd probably have a hard time showing up as well. So again, even though I don't know what happened to you or the people who did whatever they did, again, I'm sorry. I know it takes a lot of strength and courage to be here to give God and church a chance. Again, see, the deal is the church hurt or the pain we've experienced because of another Christian is a real barrier to, to faith. And for those who, who love the church, which is a lot of people, it's important for us to all look in the mirror and own up to what we can. Now, we've mentioned before about the nationwide increasing number of people who claim to be nuns, not nuns like Sister Act joining a convent type of nun, but nun, N-O-N-E-S, those who claim to have no religious affiliation or interest in Christianity. And by latest estimates, the percentage of nuns has risen to 30% and growing. And it may be because we as Christians haven't always given people a reason to be interested in faith. In the book, Unchristian, author and researcher David Kinneman surveyed people outside the Christian faith. Two primary words used to describe Christians by non-Christians, it's this, hypocritical and judgmental. Top two words. And when I read that about a decade ago, I was bummed and I still am bummed, but I've heard others share something similar. Last month, I gave a message on doubt and I listed some reasons why people doubt. Certainly not meant to be an exhaustive list, but one person wrote me an email, kind email, that said, you forgot to say that one of the reasons people have doubt is because of other Christians. And this person admitted, that's why I struggle with faith. I get why people feel this way. Seems every week there's another church scandal, denominational failure, or story of a pastor who has been caught doing something they shouldn't have been doing. And because of this, people will use that as a reason to walk away from faith. Now, is this perception of Christianity always fair? No, probably not. I mean, I can barely watch or read the news because of how unfairly Christianity is portrayed at times. 
Also, it seems when a person's belief system doesn't align with the Christian worldview, they'll claim hypocrisy and intolerance, which ironically is hypocritical and intolerant. But whether we feel like it's fair, true, or right, the fact remains one of the most common objections to Jesus are hypocritical, judgmental Christians. And I don't want us to just brush past this either. Assuming they're the hypocritical and judgmental ones, and I'm not. Every single one of us needs to own up to the times that we have potentially contributed to this Perception. That's because Jesus saved some of his toughest words for religious people who lived hypocritically. In Matthew 23, Jesus says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, religious leaders of the day. You hypocrites, he says. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. At some point, we may have been a reason why people have walked away from the church and we can do better. Now, I certainly haven't intended to be a reason why someone walks away from church, and I doubt you have either. So many people I know who are part of this church, so many of you here give, love, and serve selflessly in Jesus' name. And not just this church, churches across the country. I know so many people who do, who do so extraordinarily well. But see, I care too much about the church to assume there's not always something we can do better for the sake of someone who is considering leaving. So if you are that person, if, if you are considering leaving, before anyone walks away from faith because of the hurt inflicted by another Christian, please hear me say, don't leave. Why? Because there's hope on the other side. There's healing. There's hope for the person today who is carrying a church hurt. There's hope for someone who has been wronged by another Christian. There's hope for you. Yes, you. See, I've devoted my life to this hope, the church. Because when operating at its best, as imperfect as it can be, there is nothing like the power and the impact and potential of a church. No school, no business, no government. There is nothing like the church. So before anyone loses their faith because of the church or what some other Christians have done, please, please hear us out on a few key truths I love for you to consider. And the first is, I want you to hear you're not the only one. You know, but I, sometimes we feel like we're going to be rejected after sharing our story or that there's, there's no way that people could accept us for who we are and what we've done. But one of the defining characteristics of a Christ-centered church and a value we do our very best to embrace at Eagle Brook is to welcome people just as they are, to let them know that, hey, you're not the only one. And then to love them enough to not let them stay stuck in their disobedience, hurt, or sin. But the problem is many of us feel like we're the only ones who feel that way. During one of our all-staff meetings a couple of years ago, we invited a few attenders to share what God had done in their lives 
And one woman stood up, I'll never forget this, it was several years ago, but one woman stood up and shared that in 2016, her and her husband were struggling with their marriage. With one kid already, the stress was at an all-time high, but she got pregnant again. And so her husband gave her just a, a brutal ultimatum. He said, get an abortion and we'll work on our marriage or have the kid and I'm out of here. At the time, she made a decision to get the abortion. As time went on, their marriage got worse. He was abusive, addicted, and refused to get the help that he needed. But as she was living every day with this pain of her decision and, and seeing no hope for their marriage, eventually she left her husband and attempted to rebuild her life. Well, it was around that time that she showed up to Eagle Brook for the very first time. She had faith in the past, and she knew a little bit about Jesus, but she was looking to rebuild what was broken in her life, and throughout that time, God began to soften her heart. She started to receive the, the help, the hope and forgiveness that God was offering her, and as she told our staff that day, a staff of 300, all that she had done in her past, I was, I was overwhelmingly struck by her transparency and vulnerability. She told us she was not proud of her decisions. In fact, she lives with deep pain to this day. And yet after she was done, our staff lovingly surrounded her and supported her because she was admitting and confessing that she was a once dead to sin person who now received the mercy and grace of God. Now she was attempting to live into that reality. It was truly one of the most heartbreaking heart-wrenching but moving experiences of my life, to hear someone share their story full of so much pain and hurt and regret, yet now filled with forgiveness, redemption, and grace, and the church respond with a loving embrace. I sat there and thought, man, this is the way it's supposed to be. Again, the problem is many of us feel like we're the only ones who struggle with that kind of sin, who has that kind of past, who deals with that kind of situation. Even though I don't know all of your stories, I know enough to know you're not the only one. And it's not gonna do any of us any good to pretend like everything is okay on the outside when we're full of sin and pain and hurt and regret on the inside. This is true of us individually, and it should be true of us as a church. Jesus once told a story to emphasize the importance of confession. He told a story by talking about two people who went up to the temple to pray, and one of them, a Pharisee, a religious leader, said, God, I thank you. I'm not like the other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, he pointed at him, who's in the temple with them. He says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, in other words, he's doing all the right religious things. But then the tax collector beats his chest and prays, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus told this story to emphasize it was the tax collector who went home justified before God. See, to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, it starts with this humble confession. Confession means to simply admit. It's admitting to others 
Maybe it's a few close friends of yours or the prayer team down after the service who are down in front or it's definitely to God. It's admitting and confessing about our sin, about who we are and, and how we struggle. Now, I'm not suggesting that people need to stand up here in front of everyone and tell their deepest, darkest secrets. But what I am saying is that we don't have to pretend with one another. In fact, according to Jesus, one of the worst things we could do is act righteous and clean on the outside, knowing there's all kinds of dirt and sin flying around on the inside. And I'm telling you, when, when the spirit of humble confession fills a church, people can't help but be attracted to that kind of humility. You've heard us mention the Asbury Revival, this movement that was sparked not by inspirational messages or extraordinary worship. It was sparked, people will tell you, because of humble confession. People can't help but be attracted to that kind of humility. Everyone can relate to, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. People don't walk away when they realize they're not the only ones. Second truth I love for people to consider is this, that people are messy, now, I haven't gotten this out there yet, but, but I need to tell you something. You're a person, and persons are messy for me, okay? People have all kinds of issues and problems and weird habits, like coughing when they're nervous or licking their fingers after they eat like they're some barbarian rather than using a napkin like a normal person. I don't understand that at all. But people are messy, and let's be clear, the church is hard to love because it's made up of people, people who have those kind of issues and weird habits. Now, maybe that shouldn't surprise us, but it does. Now, I don't know who said it first, but this quote has always stuck with me. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. That shouldn't surprise us, but that's true. It was, of course, Jesus who established this truth by teaching this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, hospitals are full of sick people. Churches are full of sick people. Therefore, the church, if it hasn't already, is probably going to gross you out in some way at some point. Again, that's because the church is made up of what? The church is made up of people. And while people are sometimes hard to love, it's those people who make up the church. Now, maybe you're wondering, what, what is God's vision for the church? Well, the best definition is found in Acts chapter 2, which is the story, again, of a group of really messy people in the first century trying to establish this church after Jesus was raised from the dead. And it's a model we've been trying to emulate for 2,000 years. Here's where it starts, Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The church sits under the teaching of Jesus and the authority of God's word. And they devoted, we can go back to that slide one second, sorry. And they devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. In other words, the church is not a solo venture. And it's not just a building. It's a group of people committed to gathering together to love one another. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Every week we hear about and we share stories of lives transformed by the power of Jesus. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The church is generous with one another. Again, last week, we reminded that you, the church, gave away $3.7 million just outside our walls. Every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. Churches gather together to love one another and to love God. And finally, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What is the mission of the church? The church is empowered by God to reach people for Christ. That's why we celebrate on Easter that 4,500 people made a decision to follow Jesus. When the church stays on mission, the church should grow. And you should know that Jesus thought very highly of the church. Says this in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus himself said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now I can see you may, you may not always like the church, but Jesus loved it. And therefore followers of Jesus are called to commit to, to build and love the church. In fact, I will go as far to say that, that we can't claim to love Jesus and not love the church. Sure, we can be mad at the church for a time. We can maybe not like it occasionally, or even go on a short break. But we can't say we love Jesus and hate the church. Those two statements are directly opposed to one another. So let's pause and ask ourselves for just a brief moment and ask, am I mad at the church or am I upset with the person? Because we might be walking around carrying this big old church hurt, Blaming God and that such and such church when in reality it was a person or two who caused the hurt. Psychologists refer to this as overgeneralization and we all tend to do this. Saying the church hurt me. Saying that I'm refusing to go back to church is overstating the reality that maybe a few people hurt you or the pastor let you down, it's important to clarify what's going on in your heart. Because to love the church is to be committed to loving, sin-filled, messy people. People who are gonna let you down at times. People who are gonna gross you out at times. And it's not gonna be easy to be a part of it, but it's gonna be worth it. That's because people are always worth it. Finally, wherever you are at in this faith thing and this whole church thing, I want you to hear this last truth, and it's this, that this gathering, the party that we have here, it's really for you. Um, whenever my family is invited to a party, my, my entire family's first reaction is always to say yes. They, they don't ever want to miss a gathering or a party. Now, I'm the opposite of whatever that is, my first reaction is to always think of a reason to say no. One time, my wife Emily invited some friends over for my birthday party, and one of my best friends, Charlie, said, really, the only gift that John wants is for all of us to leave by 8 p.m. <laughs> it's like, yes, you got it. You know me. 
And now when people are over, when we have friends over, we have this ongoing joke that whenever they hear me fire up the dishwasher, they know it's time for them to leave. And so it's a thing of beauty. I'll just press start on that thing. They'll hear it roar and they'll just start walking out. It's great. I don't even have to say anything. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean I don't love people. I do. But my instinct, my natural response is to want to stay away from the gathering because, well, it's easier for me. But here's what I've learned over the years. I've learned when I do show up and say yes, it's always worth it. And I'm always glad I did. Maybe you've heard the story of the prodigal son and the party that was thrown for him. It's about really the youngest child, the one who got everything he wanted, the one you all hate. And I say you all because I am the third and youngest child, and it was glorious. I think when you're the youngest, parents are tired of trying as hard. There's more allowance, more gifts, less pressure, no curfew. They even celebrated my half birthday, which is coming up May 1st, 39 and a half. My mom will still send me a card and some money. It's great, okay? My wife refuses to celebrate my half birthday, but that's another story. Well, in this story of the prodigal son, the youngest son takes his share of the inheritance He runs off, parties hard, and wastes all his money. But then the money runs out, and he's starving. And eventually, he comes to his senses, and he thinks, well, maybe my father will will take me back. Because he realized at that point that he's a mess, and his only hope is returning home. This is where Jesus continues. He said, while he was still the youngest son, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, please forgive me. I'm not worthy. And the father turns to his servants and said, go get the finest clothes and put it on him. Kill the best calf we got, because tonight we are throwing a party. Why? For this son of mine was dead and is now alive. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party, the party began. See, Jesus wants people to know that no matter how far you've run, no matter how broken you feel, no matter how much you feel like you've squandered and lost, God will welcome you back home with a party. And I just believe to my core that the church should embody that kind of welcoming spirit. And many of you know that because that's your story. You were once the prodigal, the lost son or daughter, but you've come back and you found a place in the church. You, you have a relationship with God that guides and directs your life with wisdom, purpose, and meaning. You know this story firsthand. But see, the story Jesus tells here is, it's not really just about one son, it's about two sons. The oldest son, the responsible one who obeyed his parents and did all the right things came home from working in the fields, and and here's this party going on. And someone tells him, your brother is home, so we're celebrating. But instead of joining in, Jesus says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. There it is. 
the self-righteous, how dare that person be here, the morally superior attitude. So his father came out and begged him to join in. And the older son says, all these years, all these years, I've done everything right, and never once did you throw me a party. And yet this other son of yours, he comes back after squandering and losing all of your money, and you throw him a party? Jesus goes on, his father said, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me. Everything I have is yours. It's always been for you. But we had to celebrate this happy day. And the story ends there. The older brother refused to join the party. And I don't want that to be any of your story. I want to tell you a story of Ryan, who's one of our attenders. Ryan, see, Ryan grew up in the church, not this church, a different one. But the church he was raised was more about religious, legalistic, guilt-driven rule-keeping than really what Jesus was all about. And so he walked away. And that was about 20 years ago. Fast forward to a Sunday morning in February, and Ryan, in his words, was at his lowest. His life was a mess. His marriage was falling apart. He'd been addicted over the years to alcohol and drugs, completely, completely living for himself. He'd even been contemplating suicide. He had, he had no hope and no purpose. Well, while driving around that Sunday morning this February with, with nowhere to go, just driving aimlessly, he passed by our Eagle Brook Woodbury campus. He saw the parking lot full of cars, and he decided to park and go in. Why not? He thought he had nothing else to do. Well, that day as he sat in the very back row, he would later say that he felt like God was speaking directly to him and that he had never felt so welcomed and received anywhere before in his life. It was also baptism weekend. Well, he didn't decide to get baptized that weekend. After the service, he went to talk to one of our staff members, and he asked, why do all those people who are getting baptized seem to have so much hope when they come out of the water? And the staff member, who's a facilities manager at that campus, he shared the grace-driven love-filled message of Jesus with him. And Ryan was so compelled by what he heard that he made a decision to follow Jesus right then and there. He prayed to receive Christ. And so they stayed in touch that week after exchanging numbers, and Ryan came back the next weekend. Then he came back the next. <laughs> then he came back again. And then on Easter, Ryan walked into church with his two teenage sons, because according to him, they wanted to check out this church that was having a profound effect on their dad's life. Now, Ryan admits he's still a work in progress, but do you see what happened? Ryan showed up at church where he realized, I'm not the only one. And he also walked in and, and took one look at you, <laughs> and he thought, Man, if they can be here, I can be here too because people are messy. And he realized by hearing the message and seeing what church was all about, that the party was for him. He felt welcomed and realized, this is for me. I said it before, but I'll say it again. 
There is nothing like the power and potential of the church. The church is God's plan A to bring transformation in your life, your family, our communities, and the world. If you're someone who loves the church, do you see what your involvement does for someone else? Just by being here, Ryan experienced a group of people who had something, not perfect, but, but something he couldn't put his finger on. He felt welcomed by those who serve and put on a smile and asked him questions. And then he experienced the Holy Spirit of God speaking through this church. If we're gonna reach the Ryans of the world, we need every single one of you. Whatever that looks like, if you can physically attend or if you can only join us online or go to a viewing party, whatever it is, your presence matters. Just a final word to those who've been hurt by a church or maybe someone who claimed to be a Christian or who really was you know, trying to be a Christian, if you've been hurt at all, can I offer a loving, challenging message? I believe that God wants me to say to you, it's this, come back. Come back to God. Come back to the church. And maybe the only step you can take is to just come back next week. And you know what? That's okay. In the spirit of humble confession, this church is far from perfect. I hope we make that crystal clear. We do our very best to follow what God wants us to follow and do what Jesus wants us to do. But at some point, the church, because it's made up of people, may let you down. But do you wanna know who is perfect and who will never let you down? Jesus. And he's the leader of this church. He's the reason this church exists, and he wants every person here today not to just be in a relationship with him and to have faith in what he's done or what he will continue to do, but he wants every person, here or online, to be committed to the gathering he loved the most and gave himself up for, the church. So if you've been hurt, if you've been wounded, bandage that thing up and limp back on into the church because we need you and God wants you to be a part of it. If you've been on the fence and you just aren't sure, again, the challenge, the invitation is to just take the next step. Come back next weekend. Tune in next weekend. Come back. If you've been on the fence, commit. Stay, plant roots, give it 10 years. See what God wants to do in and through your life. Come be part of God's church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this gathering and group of people you call the church. We know how much you loved it and continue to love it. We know that in many ways you, you gave yourself up so that we could experience your presence, your Holy Spirit through this imperfect and sometimes messy gathering called the church. God, I'm so grateful for the, the thousands of people who are doing their very best to follow you, who show up, who remain engaged, who give themselves, devote so much of their life to helping build the church 
so grateful for those people, humbled by them. But I also feel an immense compassion and empathy for those who have been hurt. And I know what it takes to step inside a church or even just check it out again with what they've experienced. I pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to um, heal those wounds, to heal those hurts. God, and as they take a step of faith to remain engaged or to commit again, God, I pray that you would honor that and bless that and remind them that this church is about you. It's about your son, Jesus. So God, we do, as we finish this prayer, we just remind ourselves, we remind you that this church is yours. It's not mine, it's not Jason's, not anyone here. It is your church, God. You are the leader of this church and we want to follow you to the very best of our abilities. Why? So that we can be a beacon of hope and truth and love in a world that so desperately needs it. Help us to be all that you have called us to be as a church. We love the church and we're grateful for it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, everyone, thanks for coming. If you want prayer, we'll have a prayer team down in front. We'll see you next weekend.